Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 50. Uh, so, yeah, we've been we've been doing this for a while now. Today's the 50th episode. Two massive guests on today, uh, which which I'll introduce you in two, in two wee seconds. But I just want to quickly have a little chat about the fact that we're on the 50th episode, what this is, how it began, all this sort of stuff. Back in July 2020, which is insane, back when COVID was very much the the word of the the world and everything um i started interviewing random people in farming and writing a wee story about them and bored the tits off of everyone that followed me and then come um december time i'd done 26 and uh i was conscious that it just wasn't as fun as it could be so started doing a podcast podcast in january 21 2021 and ever since then we've had some fantastic guests 49 up until today um Adam Henson, Cammie Wilson, Martin Kennedy, the Funky Farmer. I've interviewed the Hoof GP, some friends, some people that have started out in farming. We've had it. Um, so thank you to everyone that's listened. Thank you to everyone that's shared. Thank you to everyone that's commented. Thank you to everyone that's sort of done all of that stuff. Uh, and very much importantly, thank you to all the guests. But today, number 50, I wanted to make sure it was a big one. Uh, and it very much is. We have... Emma Gray and Ewan Irvin from BBC This Farming Life fame. Guys, if you'd want to say hello. Hi. Hello. <laughs> uh, how you doing? <laughs> very well, very well. Um, and Before we get on in to another excellent episode of the R2 cast, I would just like to thank the sponsor for the show today, The Scottish Farmer, a weekly magazine highlighting everything you need to know regarding the Scottish agricultural industry, whether it's breaking news, events happening in the sector, market reports, classified ads, or just wholesome stories happening in the industry the Scottish farmers got it for you this has been I'm not going to uh, out use on this too long I'll just do it once this has been two days coming because it was supposed to be on Tuesday but I was forgotten about over a tippy so uh, I know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did bump into you guys at the Highland Show which I, at time of recording was just last week um, and for those of you listening that were there uh, if I bumped into you and had a chat it was good to meet you um, and also if you weren't there go next year it was great to get back great to bump into folk and just get out and do stuff again but enough about me and the podcast guys could you tell us a bit about yourself from a background perspective you guys are in farming at the minute but I think we've got quite an interesting story here from you too so if you could tell us a bit about yourselves that way yeah, well, do you want to go first? Yeah, I've got a short story about farming because I'm not, <laughs> not from farming. Uh, so I did study forestry at university, but didn't finish my degree. Um, it was forestry or agriculture that I was interested in, but then I've been away from it uh, the rest of my life. So I taught outdoor pursuits. Uh, I've done lots of different jobs and then um, joined the fire service. So I've just come from 12 years of fire service working. And I met Emma, I want to say, like getting on eight years ago. And um, it kind of reignited the kind of thought about farming. I saw how good Emma has it. Uh-huh. And um, so the cushy lifestyle, that was it. <laughs> uh, so it's been something that we've been building to try and, you know, uh, maybe look into doing something with Emma. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'll let you see your background yeah. and see what we got here. Yeah, so I grew up on a farm in the Scottish Borders. Uh, it was um, a tenanted farm, Buclew Estates. And when I was 17, I decided I wanted to do a shepherding course, the only one in the country, which was at Kirkley Hall. And 
I went there and really enjoyed it. And one of the big plus points for me was the fact that you could train a dog alongside learning all your shepherding skills. So I trained a dog and really got bitten by the bug there. And I actually sold that dog and it paid for my travel around New Zealand. And I did some agricultural work in New Zealand, not on a sheep farm. I did a dairy farm and a pig farm. And then came back and I worked four years as a self-employed contract shepherd. And then I gradually started working in one place more and more and more until we had like about a thousand ewes. So that was that was great. And then around this time, I had a relationship breakdown. So I was homeless. And it was at that time where Fallow Lees came up in the local paper as a 100 acre tenanted farm coming up to let by the National Trust. So I applied for it <laughs> as a 23 year old single young woman. And to everybody's surprise, uh, they awarded me the tenancy which is a bit bonkers, and, but it was an amazing thing to happen to me. And it's kind of been the launch pad for everything since then. So from Fallies, we were there for 10 years. So during that time, um, I joined a farming partnership where it just an amazing Northumbrian family who uh, offered me land for nothing in return for shepherding their own sheep. And it was really great. It was a really great partnership because we had a kind of cooperative of machinery and um, expertise. Well, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we're all one of the guys in the partnership was an agricultural advisor. So we were able to like sound lots of things off him. And um, just everyone was really innovative and pushing forward. So that enabled me to build up the livestock um, while still having follow these. And it enabled me to give up contracting because if anyone's ever tried contracting, it's pretty hard work. And so it was during this time I met Ewan. And I think definitely when uh, we met, we became like a really strong partnership and we could both support each other and sort of push forward. So then um, we were, obviously we had a baby and got married, not in that order. <laughs> and that's really um, good. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no. Um, and then we decided we wanted to look for a farm that was going to be big enough to support the both of us. So we had friends on the Isle of Butte at the time, and they said, "Oh my God, there's an amazing hill farm coming up. You you need to apply for it. It's going to be tremendous. You want to live here." So we came to the island and saw it. This is during COVID, and we loved it. And we thought, yep, we're going to go all in for this. Went all in for it. And we didn't get it. <laughs> so uh, after we were, um, yeah, after we failed in that, the estate came back to us and said, listen, guys, I really like you. Would you be interested in other farms maybe on the island? Because we've got three either coming empty or that are empty. And we were like, well, actually, I was a bit sour at this point. I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> didn't Talk want to us <laughs> but um we came up and um saw this place and we're like oh this place is amazing uh, it's a pretty amazing opportunity really yeah. so we had been looking at farms and uh, i was keeping on with my fire service job um but we were actively looking we yeah. went and viewed different farms and i guess you probably know when it's the right farm for you or opportunity like we always <laughs> knew it was going to be all in yeah. like um aye, and the, this island i think the current tenancies that they've offered have been like 20 year tenancies 
So we went for the the tenancy of the plan. We were last lossers, but a 20 year term, like I've never seen it advertised, Mm -hmm. like watching all the farming papers, looking online for the last like 10 or 12 years. Yeah, there's very few opportunities come up, and certainly not that length of tenancy. Yeah, they're like our gold dust, aren't they? Just like complete gold dust. Yeah, have a lot of people on the talk about tenancies and and the difficulties of getting them, and and when they get them, how that they would snap at the opportunity, even if they didn't want it. (laughs) You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what someone told us. They were like, "There's only there's only one good time to get into a farm, and that's when you can." You know, it's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, Which totally is a shame. Like, like, just how lucky we've been, you know, because um, there's not that many routes probably mm. in. And like tenancies are so valuable because can you imagine to try and buy a farm? Like mm. uh, if you look at the prices now, what do they say? 30% rise in land price in Scotland the last 12 months even. Mm-hmm. It's all like two, three million pound for, you know, a farm that potentially would be viable, but I don't know like it's crazy mortgages and I don't know like we don't I, mind because everyone's everyone's just custodians of the land whether you own it or whether you rent it you're just custodians so we don't really mind that it's not ours well a little bit it would be nice to be ours but deep down you're like god you're only here for as long as you're alive aye, so like we couldn't afford a place like this not at all no we can't so, afford anything can't afford anything but like so the tenancy is <laughs> really grateful because I think like I was raised in a kind of I don't know, like, I think my parents kind of poo-pooed, like, massive, like, people with land and, like, the aristocracy or whatever, but without these people with that resource willing to tenant it, there wouldn't actually be the opportunity. I think it was a really good way Yeah, it switched my thinking completely. Um, like, right to buy, right to buy was a double-edged sword, wasn't it? Because although it allowed people the opportunity to buy their land, it cut out that stepping stone for people to get onto the ladder and get themselves a farm tenancy <laughs> so it made that meant that more farms were owned rather than tenanted and yeah it made it a bit more difficult so there's different a... sorry you're on you go no you go ahead uh, no totally <laughs> i was just going to say there's like there's not that many routes in but emma's obviously the partnership thing was really the what allowed us to mm-hmm. like even have a, a look in at something like this um yeah, I don't know. There's no there's no easy routes in, is there? Mm. Um, but we're no, still the, grateful. There's there's absolutely it. not. And and like you said there, you and you know your family sort of the idea of people that own land. And now I'm from a family that owns a relatively large chunk of land. And you get that. <laughs> you know, I've had people on the podcast that we sort of like I did with you guys have a 10 minute chat before we, we kick off, and they say, you know. I, I tell them a bit about myself and whatever, and they're like, oh, well, it's all right for you guys. Like, yeah, well, fair enough. But like, <laughs> I'm just here to have a chat about you. Don't worry. You know I can't I mean? get sour about it. <laughs> no, it's not like that. It's absolutely just, not. Yeah, yeah. Like, we all get our breaks, and, like, yeah. you know, that's the thing. Like, we are so appreciative, like, of the chance that we've been given. Yeah. Um, like so it was all it was all very dramatic when we got the farm and whatnot because obviously this farm and life were following us so it was going to be a national uh humiliation had it not gone <laughs> okay in the first year because they were like oh my god no pressure but if we if we cock this up everybody's going to know about it and everybody's going to see it so um yeah, but now we're everyone, so we've been in the farm sorry <laughs> so i was just going to say that everyone everyone goes through the challenges that the highs and the lows and the and we'll get into this farm in life and clearly you guys 
are good at, at, at telling your story because you basically just covered the things I've written down and I'm like right let's jump back to, <laughs> jump back to that point <laughs> we, we will get into this far in life but Lynn um, of Lynnbrook uh, said to me and it was mm-hmm. a really good point she was like her and Sandra went through the sort of year of this farm in life thinking looking back on it thank god that bit was bad that bit was bad but then when she actually looked at the videos they just seemed happy they were just happy yes there was challenges mm-hmm. yes there was whatever and then um, I embarrassingly as I think admitted to you guys at the show haven't watched it I really watched nothing um so it's it's a uh, it's quite Everyone that's listening to this is probably like, Wallace, why aren't you asking about this story and this story? <laughs> like, uh, you know, um, and don't, that's don't good. You don't know how incompetent we are. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> you, you wouldn't ask this on the show if you'd uh, known. Okay, I'm quite certain that's not the case. I'm quite certain that's not the case. But, yeah, it'd be good to jump back, guys. We, we, we sort of went through background, past jobs, farms, where you are now, yeah. and didn't really sort of jump into sort of everything as we went. So, um, you and yourself, what, what, how long did you do that qualification for and what was involved in it just before you, you, you went into outdoor pursuits? Yeah, so I guess, uh, like I went to uni, as I said, um, I didn't finish um, my degree. I probably should have, in hindsight, had some time between finishing school and going to uni because I wasn't probably... Uh, Mature enough, you know. I didn't, yeah. didn't knuckle down and focus. Oh, was it my, girls and partying? Was didn't it? Focus on my studying. <laughs> so then I was like really lost for a number of years. You know, I've done everything. I've worked on a fishing boat off Mull. Um, I've done like landscape gardening, like labouring on a building site, like loads of different things. None of which made me particularly happy. Uh, it wasn't like my career or like fulfilling that way and then I've always been interested in loads of sports and like um, you know ever since I was a youngster like kayak or uh, ski or all these kind of things and the opportunity came up to basically go on a well I don't know people maybe heard of PGL they do like kids adventure yeah. companies massive in the market and they will take on uh, people with no qualifications and you can go and basically gain your qualifications as you work with them so like the more qualifications you build the more interesting things you get to go and do with the kids so uh, having the background already in all these sports I was able to get kind of qualified quite quickly so I reckon within the first the first year really I got myself qualified enough to then teach for them in the winters as mm-hmm. a instructor of instructors and I got then I could almost pick where I wanted to work. And so I worked in the French Alps, uh, like doing raft guiding, I worked in Ardèche, taking canoe trips. So it was brilliant. And I did um, I did kind of 10 years in that industry. I worked in England, Wales, Scotland, up in the Highlands. Uh, I even um, tried to set up my own kind of business, taking people out, like doing new trips and things. So that was great. Uh, and what else? Worked as a ski patroller, like all sorts. <laughs> um, but the fire service started advertising, and it was one of those things. When I was a wee boy, I wanted to be a firefighter. And, you know, that was one of the the kind of careers that it's like I don't know, like I think that's not uncommon. And uh, I saw Lothian Borders Fire and Rescue was advertising. Uh, I was working on a barge at the time doing outdoor pursuits. Applied for it. I think there was. They always say this, maybe there was like 12,000 or more people applied for 12 jobs. So uh, I went through all the recruitment and everything and kind of got in, but then you're in a holding 
pool just waiting to see if a job comes up that they place you in. You get that for three years and then you have to start again, go through recruitment. And loads of people that I met had been through the process a bunch of times or not got in or, or whatever. And it was literally, I think I was like two years and 10 months into this holding pool uh, and I had a winter job out in the French Alps um, taking people skiing and then they came back and I got in. So yeah, the last 12 years when I met you, I was in the fire service and it's been great. They kind of, uh, I'm 43 now, 44 this year. So they kind of had my thirties and uh, like it was dead good. It was like doing stuff for your community. Um, some of the jobs were really exciting. There were some lovely people, um, but it's a massive discipline service. You wear a uniform and it's yes, sir, no ma'am, uh, how high. And it's just different that way. It's like this massive organization. And I think you'll find, you know, folk that work in the NHS uh, or teaching or like any of these kind of big things, there's always a degree of frustration being on the, uh, like the shop floor, if you like, where decisions getting made elsewhere. Um, but as I think with farming, the massive appeal, like, or like seeing what Emma did was that Emma worked for herself, you know, she didn't really yeah. answer to like a chain of command and if Emma made a decision that was like a bad decision like she could live with the consequences having made that and um I just it's just a different mentality yeah. like when you're working when I was working the fire service sounds awful but I was already counting oh, I've got 18 years left oh, that's not too bad like uh do you know what I mean you're, you're clock counting and when you're there it sounds <coughs> awful outside of the putting out fires or like going to car accidents things like that you're you're kind of like clockwork you know i don't know i just felt yeah. like i was an employee rather than um, the shifts are really good though yeah like, the shift system was amazing and that allowed me really to be farming six days you know do two day shifts two night shifts four days off so right. really i was only two days out of eight that i couldn't help on the farm mm -hmm. so it was a massive thing and you've got a pension it's a really secure job there's loads going for it i definitely wouldn't knock it as a career for anybody um and the same for the outdoor pursuits like what a brilliant life that was um but i've got to say like loads of folks they're asking today do you miss it and like not really i feel like i did my time with them uh i enjoyed it i met lovely people and i gained some skills but this is amazing like what we have now is just fantastic and i feel a whole difference in mindset completely um and i don't know if it's just about working for yourself or like being just because your co-workers are so much nicer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <There's> amazing perks <laughs> well it, it's true and, and i have a lot of people on here that you know have came from another job to agriculture and they're like you know don't get me wrong i had more money in the bank i had more holidays i had whatever but it's just not as good and and quality of life's got to be more important yes there's the rat race to try and make money and whatever fair but um yeah it's good to hear that and also i have heavily underestimated you guys's age <laughs> there's no way you're that old <laughs> so um, i'm not gonna ask you no, no, no way emma's not age. emma's not there's, there's a considerable age gap between us Kamal, isn't he? <laughs> I am blown away by that by uh, by your age, you. So uh, take take a compliment from that one. Um, about oh, worry, did you have it. an estimate down there? I want to see your estimates. <laughs> well, I haven't written the so ages go, go down. Considerably younger, yeah. I was thinking sort of 
not much older than myself, to be honest, around the sort of late 20s, 30 mark. But um, yeah, <laughs> don't embarrass myself here. Uh, <laughs> Give me a couple of years in farming, I'll be really white haired <laughs> and grizzled. Well, it's, that's it. it's, it's the farming lifestyle. It's uh, yeah, getting tanned from the fires. That's not how it works. But um, yeah. Uh, that was because you saw us partying at the Highland Show. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. It was. It was a good time. It was a, a very good time in the cattle lines and whatnot. From uh, from what I remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to get into that though. That's a, a discussion for another day. Um, anyway, you uh, you talked about that sort of partnership. Now I'm based in Dumfries now, and. Uh, it's it's a there's there's a there's a, a company called Farming Partners started by the Muldownies, um, Brendan and Maureen, I believe, who are actually a couple I'd also like to have on the podcast, and it, it seems like a way in uh, for people that, that can't get that tenancy, can't get that whatever. Could you explain to the guys that are listening sort of what a farming partnership is? Well, I guess they're all their own animals, aren't they? Because they're all different and edited for whatever situation. So we came in kind of, we were kind of late to the party. So we had um, a couple, a farming couple who were sort of in their late 60s, 70s. And they had four daughters who didn't really want to be involved in the farm on a sort of feet on the ground level, but they kind of wanted to live on the farm. So they lived on the farm. So there was already three partners when we arrived so what essentially what it was is they gave the the the, they had a patch of ground say it was like for example like 300 acres they'll say you can you can have this 150 for nothing so long as you farm 200 ewes on this 150 and we'll um we'll pay for for all of the vet and meds but what happened with us was so they paid for all the vet and meds for their side of the sheep they paid for a quad bike and also it, we got one lamb per you. Okay. Sorry, they got, they got, sorry, they got one lamb per you. Right. So we got everything left over. So that one, that one lamb per you that they got paid, kind of paid, because that is kind of how it works. Your second lamb pays is the profit, isn't it? For sure. Absolutely. So, so, so the, they got that, that one lamb, but they got all the, entry-level scheme payments and all the BPFs. And also we put in all our time and labor, we kept things right, we fenced, we topped, we did everything. And there was, so there was four partners in the business and we had a tractor between us, we did silage between us. Sometimes like some people were better at other stuff. So like, I'm no good in a tractor, like I'm just not. So other people would make the silage and I would just like lead the bales in. And then um, like I would go gathering for them. They'd be like, well, we've got a big day mark and lambs. Can you give a hand? And I would be like, yeah, that's fine. Or clipping time, I organized the shearing and whatnot. And it just was a really good division of labor. And when we left, so obviously we were really devastated to leave them because they were such a nice family. So I went to them real early doors and said, listen, this farm has come up. You know, they were a reference when we went for the farm. And um, they said, you know, we'll support you fully in what, whatever happens. And then when we said, look, we've got the farm, we're going to be leaving. And they said, look, you know, all those sheep you've been looking after for the last like four years, do you want to just buy them? So we bought them off them. They, they gave us a snacker. They were just like unbelievable. They were so lovely. They were just And so again, amazing. like I kind of, you know, I was raised 
like you know I had a different thought of like oh there's people with like all the money and all the assets that are able to like that's who you're competing against when you go for farms yeah but actually like my eyes have been totally open now that you've mm. actually got these uh philanthropists yeah. I'm terrible at saying yeah. things like that but like they without them you know wouldn't be where we are and yeah. it's just it's like yeah i don't know it's the same as coming out of fire service it's a total change of mindset yeah. and actually realizing do you know what there's like um they were yeah. they were fundamental because it meant that we could build up our stock to a level where we didn't have to just go and outlay for 600 use you know we'd already had so we already had a, a baseline of 200 use and then we bought his further 200 and he gave us a really good deal on them and then there happened to be a farm dispersal around the same time in Northumberland. So we bought the use from there. So we were pretty well stocked. But um, yeah, we wouldn't have managed it without them. Um, no, absolutely not. And I mean, it's a shame because they they didn't actually fill our gaps when we left. They just kind of expanded all the other partners' uh, acreage, yeah. which was a shame because I, I thought, oh, you know, there's a, there's a gap there. But then equally, they didn't want to open themselves up to, they'd been done over in the past by partners that had taken advantage of them because there's a huge amount of trust involved. So you need to make sure that the person that has been picked is right. And I think they were really, you know, they, they sought me out, you know, they, they, they were like, listen, um, we think you'd be really good with us, you know, would you be interested? And I think that's important if you get the right person. And I think in agriculture, you can't put a foot wrong. Um, you can't, you've always got to go above and beyond because if you don't, it kind of finds you out later on. Whereas I think you're like, everything's word of mouth. So you need to be good all the time. And I think that was the, that was good for us because, you know, John and, and Rosalind had heard about me and, you know, I'd done good jobs for other people. So that all helped. It's, it's a very giving industry community, but at the same time, like you say, news travels fast whether it's positive or negative um you know you hear stories about people i hear stories about people in the industry that i don't even know and i'm like if i know it the people near them you know so yeah. you're right and you've got to sort of watch your back's not right because that's it's not that type of industry but you've got to make sure that you're doing correct as you say which is and you guys obviously have you know you're obviously obviously doing that um you went went out to new zealand Emma. how long were you there for and uh, was was that an experience you would tell others to do yeah, well, I think I was quite young when I went to New Zealand because I think I just had my 18th birthday, so I was quite young. Four years ago, was it? Been, yeah, it was like three years ago, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it was a good experience. I enjoyed it. I grew up a lot when I was out there. I was a bit homesick, but it was really opened my eyes. So, obviously, the call, like, there was like a big milk run where everybody was putting in these huge parlours when I was across there. So I worked on a sort of 600 cow rotary, um, like 50 rotary herd. Um, so that was that was great. And then um, I worked on a massive pig farm, probably one of the biggest pig farms. I had about 40,000 sows, which was great because the crack was great because there was loads of people, you know, there was so many people there that had their own cafe and it was really good for socialising. Wouldn't say I learned anything about cheaper cows which is obviously our foundations here now <laughs> but yeah I would recommend like New Zealand's just a kind of home from home yeah it, it, it's just it's just like was it, like traveling and being a single oh woman. it was a terrible travel awful. oh ter well I think I had a few because you didn't go out with a group of you no you? no yeah. I had a few scares like a few things I look back on and I'm just like oh my god like oh really 
Yeah, just horrible. First of all, on the flight, oh no, the flight was awful. So went to fly. I'd never been on a plane before. I'd never even done like a baby flight or anything. It was my very yeah. first time on a plane. And this guy like hit on me. Like, so it had stopped over in Dubai and this like Dubai guy like hit on me and he was like really full on, like grabbing me and stuff on the plane. So, um, and he was like, when we land in Dubai, I'm going to take you for my wife and stuff. And it was like horrendous. But anyway, wow. there was uh, some Scottish girls behind me reported him to the, the airline and they did something about it. So they kind of told him off and got him told off and then upgraded me to first class. So that was all right. But it was just, I don't know, it was the very first experience kind of away from home and it was like quite frightening. And I wouldn't recommend probably an 18 year old girl traveling by herself and just, you know, maybe it wasn't the wisest thing. Did you have work like lined up? No. 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 So I just went to the, I went to the, the pig farm and said like, are you looking for anyone? And I lied about all my qualifications <laughs> <laughs> and my visa. So they gave me a job. And then while I was at the pig farm, I was staying in a pub and then I asked if there was any other work going and there was a dairy farm. So that was fine. Well, so, it, you know, it's just taking a different turn. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'll let you ask the questions. Completely <laughs> different. I mean, that's um, normally you're like, uh, I would focus New Zealand, best thing I've ever done, you know. <laughs> is, uh, you can edit just, that bit out, though. Just edit that bit out. <laughs> but no, Tia, the real real stuff happens as well, and it's it's important to know that too. That's not a nice experience, though. That that you the the plane experience in particular, but um, at least I guess you got yeah. first class. And that's that's the only thing. I can really try <laughs> yeah. Bring out that one. Um, I mean, for 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 yourself, Emma, and 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 now both of you really, um, sheep dogs is a thing that is 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 you know been very important in, in, in your life for for various reasons first off you got to go to New Zealand because of it as you said uh, yeah. Emma but when was the first love for that when did that come in it was almost straight away like I've always loved dogs and loved animals and and, and dogs in particular so I wasn't allowed a dog when I was growing up I, dad was like no 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 you can't have a dog we had one old collie and it was my grandfather put his foot down and he just rocked up one day with this little six-week-old puppy when I was about 13 and um he was the only person my dad couldn't argue with so that was like my first labs we did everything together and then of course when I went to college and you were allowed to train a dog I found this this like scruffy little puppet my uncle's and I was like oh can I have that one like she was about four or five months old so that was Geordie so I trained her and she was actually my very first dog that I did a trial with. She ran underneath the judge's car though and wouldn't come out again. So that was short lived. <laughs> <laughs> and then it wasn't until I started shepherding where I was really like got bitten by the bug and I was like, oh, these, this is amazing. I can really do this. Um, so really started in earnest when I was 21. And I think I was living in a caravan at the time. I did about 18 months in a caravan. I had like three dogs and I just trained them all the time. And then it just kind of went on from there. And it wasn't, I, I suppose, like, kind of hit the success, I don't know, sort of like mid-20s and started being a bit more consistent. And it just happened to coincide with people starting to appreciate the value of a trained dog. So that became really, really important. Um, and obviously, so the first bitch I ever took to auction was this really nice bitch, Brenna. And at that stage, there was a couple of top prices coming out of the sales, but nothing too spectacular. So we took Brenna in and um, we're just absolutely blown away. So she made 14,000 when it was kind of, this is before, you know, before COVID and before any of that happened. 
And then a year later, I thought, oh, we'll just try the same again. And uh, took another bitch to the sales and then she made 18,000. So we're like, oh, this is like, we're, we need to sell these on the, online and on these sales. So um, that kind of just triggered it. So we've sold a few through auction. Because it's hard, like I would never, you know, I think it's very hard for us to sit at home and go, oh, I think that dog's worth that. Because it's quite big headed to mm-hmm. say, oh, I think that dog's worth that. Whereas at least in an auction, you, you kind of let other people decide the value of something. And it feels like the fairest way. Uh, like we say that, it's obviously feels fair to us. <laughs> I think it has changed a lot. Like um, it's now a kind of worldwide yeah. market, really, you know, the way yeah. it's ended up going. But these auctions, like it's a big scary thing to go and run your dog that you're training, you know, in front of, we use Skipton and, you know, there could be like four or 500 people mm-hmm. like on a big sale day crowded around that ring and it's, you know it's really tricky mm-hmm. but like yeah as emma said you, i guess a dog just makes the value that people value on the day you mm-hmm. know whereas we would have an idea at home well you know that's the price we want or we take our home um but it's like all stock i guess when you go to auction you know the same with the big price tops or like anything you're getting like the mart is still for farming probably one of the best ways yeah. to market your um absolutely you know, your produce so now we're just pretty committed to the auctions now we're like look this is the good this is a good way for us to market things and to hit a big worldwide audience so i'm not saying like we still do sell dogs at home but if we've got something that looks a little bit extra special we're like this is an auction dog you know and if, if you don't mind me asking how many dog stroke bitches are you selling a year for example it varies massively like when we came to the farm we had about we had about 35 dogs didn't we between us and we sold a lot because we had a huge number of bills to pay when we came here so yeah and that kind of run about 18 and i think we'll probably have maybe two or three auction dogs a year and i think that 18 that's like 12 collies really Mm -hmm, yeah you know they've got pets so um yes so we've started up our new uh, sheepdog school. I'll give a wee plug there. <laughs> Don't worry, it's, it's, it's there, it's there, it's written. Ah, good, good, good. <laughs> so we started that up. Oh, we'd kind of had the idea, kind of vague idea once upon a time at Fowley's, but we didn't have very good internet connection. And then we're really inspired by Kami here one day, Kami uh, from the Sheep Game. And he was like, oh, there's this amazing platform called Patron. Like, I'm on it and you can do this, this, this and this. And we're like, oh my God, that's amazing. We should try that. And it was just the platform gave you the opportunity to have people subscribe from all over the world and pay like a monthly subscription. And we're like, that would really work because we didn't want to be, we didn't want to be giving it away for free. Like yeah. thought could have a YouTube channel. And we're like, oh, do you know what? I feel like over the last like 20 years, I've learned enough that I didn't want to just be like handed out for nothing. Yeah. I think yeah. with the YouTube as well, like uh it's exciting, but you really need volume, you know, like um, <laughs> you're going to like make an income from YouTube, like having 500 subscribers and, you know, like an hour watched for two hours a week. You know, it's not going to, you're not going to make any money out of that. No. So Patreon was a way that when we set this up, we were like, oh, uh, if we could get a hundred people interested in signing up, that would be worth doing that's like i mean they take a, a cut of it 
but you, know, you can work out it's like a thousand pound pounds a month but that's every month it's a regular income so farming obviously is very seasonal and you've got these big like right now would normally be you'd be most into your overdraft waiting to get the first lambs away so it's a bit like getting a milk check or something you know there's a, a monthly income into the farm mm-hmm. um and we like doing it it's like really good and it's really motivated us to take as well because sometimes if a dog isn't quite working out we'll be like oh we'll move that on because it's not really suiting us whereas we've actually pushed on and gone no i'm going to solve this problem and make sure that it it, it works you know so it's been really good for us and uh, to see been... all the stages so we've got dogs coming through now that you can see from pups you know that are like this big and they're, they're coming up to being fully trained now so it's nice for people to see all the way through and we feel like this bank of videos is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger so it's been good as well because um like we're finding through like we try and be really approachable and like have loads of engagement with people that are on there so um but most of them most of them are farming well mm. every single person that's responded uh has been in farming so either yeah. farm of their own or working <coughs> farm with a shepherd or they've got like they've all got stock and i think that's really cool that we actually it's a diversification for our farm but it's for other farmers mm-hmm. you know it's, it's for other shepherds and like people in this industry which is quite cool i think yeah you know like well, um that's yeah. absolutely and and diversification from that perspective I was, just before you said that you know i was going to say like there's so many different forms of diversification and and the more this brexit and and i don't know what this independence thing will do i'm the most oh yeah person on the planet i'm not the person to ask my opinions on it and i won't say it because i'll probably lose followers uh <clears throat> but um with all these challenges and facing farming and we're pretty subsidy dependent for the most part diversification is one of those main things and it's really cool to see the different ones that are out there i mean you know hospitality retail all that sort of things were all the, the first ones and and sort of like um you know that sort of thing was what first came in shops that sort of thing and then now you know that youtube and instagram and and, and all that sort of thing and but yours is quite niche you know and, and I, I always like to see like a sort of different one um, and you 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 sort of made it live uh, the day after this farming life came out was it 20 21 um November last year yeah 21 so we've been going like seven months or yeah we've been holding off for that as well like hit it with the uh, on the last episode it was supposed to like it was our understanding that farm life was going to go out uh, across the UK but it hasn't actually it's only gone out in Scotland so oh, right. still it's still really to go out in like England and Wales, which it's a bigger audience. Like I think the viewing yeah. figures normally, it's about 2 million people watch the show. But obviously just within Scotland, you know, if there's 20,000, like, I don't know what the, we're 10% of the population, yeah. aren't we? So yeah. it's not got the same reach, but it did make sense to uh, launch it because, um, yeah, I guess by doing the show, it's one of those things that it does give you... Um, What's right? Like exposure, do you know? Yeah, absolutely. So like it shows it shows warts and all. So like it's it's a double edged sword. You know, mm-hmm. you get um you get stick from it, and it's like, well, you put yourself out there. Um but for us it's been mostly like really positive and actually there's you know uh, good things have come out of it. Um but yeah, the sheepdog school, like as a diversification, like it's something we're really like proud about and We've um, just found out we've been uh, made the shortlist for Farmers Weekly Diversification of the Year 
Which so is that really as well, because that's like you get to go to London and like, <laughs> um, you know, see the other people. I know, the but they're family. you know we're up against someone who makes vodka from sheep's milk. I mean, pff, I know who I'd pick. <laughs> I'll be honest, as as a big vodka drinker, I don't know how much that appeals. <laughs> Is that, is that just like an instant white Russian? I don't know. What's I don't happening. know. It's seventy-five pound a bottle, so I'm like, oh, I was so jealous. I was like, you judges are totally going to get a bottle away with them to try. So I'll have to ask them. I think it's made from the whey, which is like obviously a. But that's like cheese. Bye. Anyway, we digress. We digress. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds. I think they've been really clever. They've basically made their own sheep feed. And they've marketed the name of the sheep breed that they've come up with as the name oh, of their no, podcast. So you know, they're really clever. Let's like, not talk about how clever they are. That's yeah, hard. that's it. Black lion. Yeah, it's so it's clever. They're taking like valley black noses. Oh, what have they done? They've got. They've taken a valley black nose and crossed it with a milk sheep and created Genius. black lion. And then they market the vodka as that. It's brilliant. Like, I love seeing, you know, people that are doing different things. Like, it's a buzz, isn't it? Like, we just uh, wish they'd done it the year before. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. You're right. There's the you know there's the usual things that folks say. Oh, if you've got an old buyer, you could convert and uh, do self catering, or could you do pods or campsite or um, eggs farm shop. There's different things, and I think you've got to find what's right for you. And you're right. What we do is so niche, but then that platform means we don't need to have millions of people. Yep. We can actually cater to. Um, what's it like 160,000 farms in the UK I don't know what percentage of that will be like sheep farms and then what percentage of them will run dogs you know what I mean but it's it's it doesn't need to be like huge numbers but it's really rewarding and I guess uh, like farmers are brilliant at doing everything like learning how to do things you know you're a plumber you're like um, a fencer you're an agronomist, you're like everything you have to learn how to do it, don't you? Obviously, absolutely. We've had to learn really like how to film stuff and how to edit it, how well, to put it out there, that kind of thing. And it's like, I don't know, it's like a, exciting. It's good. And are you guys seeing, so you, you launched in November and now some things go viral on Facebook. I mean, I think you and I were talking about this last yeah. week, Emma. Facebook for the Your most snail part. Snail definitely should have. It's it. What's that? Your snail definitely should have gone viral. <laughs> <laughs> it was, well, well, uh, but like that sounds <laughs> rude. Hang on. No, this <laughs> snail comes up to the bug and just knocks it off its leaf. It's I, I just didn't want to say, but it's 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 actually a bee, but it's it's fine. Um, the, <laughs> it's a bee. Oh, I forgot. I I've had a few gins by that point. Well, we had, but the, it's funny you bring this up. Um, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Ashley Farms, <laughs> yeah. is is massive on TikTok. Uh, Emma yes. Gray, you and Irvin, and myself. Uh, you know, I I felt like I felt like a, a bloody rug on the floor of the of the of Buckingham Palace. But anyway, um, we were sitting chatting about social media and stuff, and I was like, I've got to show you this video. So if you follow our two our Rural to Kitchen on TikTok, go check it out. It should have went so much better. It's this bee that's it's it's a slow mo and it just sort of walks up the the leaf and it's got this is Sparta uh, put over it and it knocks this little wee guy off the leaf and it's amazing. It's got like eight views. Um, you know, so, but. Uh, uh, yeah, some things go viral, some things don't. But what, the reason I was saying that was, I mean, in November, whatever day it was that you just put that up, 
I saw nothing on Facebook and Instagram apart from she, uh, uh, the, the, the sheepdog school. It was all I saw. Yeah, uh, exactly. And yeah. the politest possible way, I didn't follow either of you, you know? Um, <laughs> Good. So obviously, exactly, that's what you want, want to hear. But is that still steadily rising or have you reached a sort of, you've got your sort of clients or how's that going? I suppose we're kind of plateau. I mean, people dip in and out of it as well. It's not a constant thing. They go in and they can have access to all the videos and then just drop out again. And then when they have another problem with their dog, they can sign up. You know, we're not, we're not, there's no sort of minimum subscription. People can just dip in and out whenever suits. But we're doing like, I think our subscription level is somewhere between 650 and 700, which is, yeah, it's really, really good. And we're hoping, like, we're hoping as things tick along, that's nice constant number would you really like to hit a thousand because that seems like a nice round number aye we hadn't really like uh we haven't really pushed it or advertised it or promoted it i don't think um yet you know it's been quite organic and we've got quite good retention so people i think we had like you know it could have been 250 people joined that first month which was amazing it totally blew us away but i think we still got like 212 of them on board you know so it's like that's really good good. Mm -hmm. and i think the next step really is uh, to try and like grow it, I guess. As Emma said, like that thousand people a month, I think that's achievable numbers. And actually, when you start to look at the farm income, that is a massive, mm-hmm. like, you know, you're talking about subsidies, no one knows what's happening in the future. Could we farm without subsidy? There was a thing at the Highland Show, there was a scare about foot and mouth. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my God, like, you know, can you imagine that your sheep income just went or like, mm, uh, you know, income. so we're like split. I feel like it's resilient income stream because it's rather, it's better to take a tiny bit of money from a lot of people than a lot of money from just a few people because, yeah, it's it's just not as resilient, is it? If something happens to the supply chain at any stage. And it ties in really nice with what we do, you know, that, that is what we do. Is like um, you're, you're putting your eggs in 650 baskets. Exactly, you know? exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that was embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we, we, this, we, we spoke about the fact that, um, you know, the sheepdog school came from, uh, and it, it was not came from, sorry, it was sort of, spoke about after this farming life um which i'm going to get into in two seconds but i'm conscious that we've sort of talked about you guys' life and farming and whatnot we haven't actually spoke about the farm um so could you tell us about the farm you're on at the minute i, I can't really say fellow islander anymore because i'm not from well, i'm from an island i'm not on an island anymore uh you're on butte uh, and what's that yeah we're supposed to be going across to aaron tomorrow to run a sheep dog trial I'm sure they're going to be too nice to say those of you that are listening, but Emma did actually win a sheepdog trial in Aaron about three weeks ago, and I'm sure she'll do it again tomorrow. No, <laughs> we can't get on your boat. We can't get on your boat. It's a nightmare. Can you actually not get over? No. You go as like foot passengers and just um, take the dogs on, but then the worry is that you can't get back. Aye. And poor you guys, Aaron's in it, isn't it? It is, and it's it's. Don't let it's, me put off anybody. I thinking about. No, going to Aaron, no. It, here it's not. I've spoken about it before. Aaron is a victim of its own success. It is so bloody busy mm. that if anything goes wrong with the boat, which yeah. not normally a Calmac, whatever, but it is dreadful lately. Uh, mm. It's just off randomly all the time. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that fear is is the fear of everyone. And we were talking about diversifications earlier. One of the main farm diversifications was B&Bs and such like, and so many, including my parents, have not done that for so long because of the issues with it. Um, but on a positive Sorry. note... Uh, <laughs> Aye, tell us our about, farm. Yeah, yeah tell us so, about the farm. It is 680-something yeah. uh, acres of mixed ground. So we, when we arrived, we had about 100 acres in barley, um, and the shoreline probably you know, constitutes about 40%. I reckon there's like, aye, I'm going to split it wrongly, but it's about 200 acres of like rough ground yeah, and about 400 acres of good ground yeah. and then 90 acres of arable, something like that. So it's a really yeah. nice split. There's, um, yeah. So run uh, 600 ewes and 40 cows. And the ewes are a mismatch of mules, Texel crosses, Suffolk crosses. And then when we came, we couldn't afford any proper sheep. So we bought 100 Welsh mountains. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's some people, they are proper sheep. They're amazing. They're just... Uh, they're the bane of my life. Like, they're just... Rise and Gareth Wynne Jones. I mean, I can just... Oh, I, I hope he's not listening to this. So naughty. So naughty. They're brilliant sheep. They're the best. <laughs> the most profitable sheep on the farm. But they are, yeah. They they're, are. Uh, they're very. Like, they're just, they're just, so wily. We just can't keep them in. They're and so wily. like today, we had obviously that women in ag talk, and I was trying to pretend that I was a proper farmer. And the just Welsh mountains were just in every single field. They were climbing the walls. They were pushing under fences. And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> but no, the Welsh yeah. mountains have been brilliant. Of like, yeah, because they were I, I guess, so cheap as well. That was the thing. We made a massive jump. So we went from 100 acres to 700 acres, uh, never having done arable before. And <laughs> at the time, you had, what, 180 ewes, you know? Mm. So, like, if you can imagine to jump to well even 600 and maybe the farm could carry more but that was a huge investment mm-hmm. uh, and the same with the cows to make ends meet when we came in we had massive ingoings so like it's part of going into farm uh, and we had a full pit of silage to buy which i think we said on the show how much that was 35,000 pound up front we came in in uh, march so it was always going to be like second year silage anyway um so there's a push to try and use it so we ended up taking on uh, well we had summering cattle to begin with like dairy heifers that we took through the summer and then we took on like beef calves for the winter so we actually had closer to 200 head of cattle through the winter and and like maybe four years ago we had 12 <laughs> quite a change that <laughs> it was a, a lot of work uh who knew uh, it's so funny. I bumped into one of my neighbours the other day. Uh, they're all dairy farmers around here, and they work like crazy hard. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, um, what was I do? I can't mind. He said something like, "Oh, it's a change to see you, see you working." But <laughs> like, aye, hats off to anybody working in the dairy industry. Like you guys, absolutely smashing the the working hours. And um, yeah. but yeah, two hundred cows through the winter. Was there was a lot of work. I'm about to hire a telehandler and everything. Well, the, well the, just I'll go on to that in two seconds. The, the, the dairy industry, like you're saying, everyone says, oh, it's the easiest money in farming. But there's a million milker jobs out there. <laughs> uh, no I, can't, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> no. they all say it's really difficult 
yeah. Well, I, I would not be. I mean, I'm someone that doesn't really sleep, and I still wouldn't like the hours <laughs> that they're working. Um, the, do you do your own uh, sort of arable work, or do you contractor then? I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Well, we just had to lean really heavily on our amazing neighbours because we had no machinery, none. We were just like, oh my God, we've got like 100 acres of arable and we had nothing, like nothing. So our neighbours were really, really good. So we gave them some of our arable in return for them doing the work on the other arable. So that was good because we came in in March. So we needed to drill it like right away. And obviously the, the island's part of a buying group so needed to be buying the seeds. So we had to make decisions pretty much before we were before even we in the, even farm. Saw the farm. We'd never even seen the farm and like neighbours are ringing us up trying to um, like get the fields off us. So we're like, you just, we'll just take those two fields off you and we'll just take this and we'll just take this. And I was like, we haven't even seen the fields and we're, we're losing them. <laughs> So, um, but our neighbours were really, really good, and they pretty much did our our. Everything. Yeah, it's really well. Um, like everybody seems to have their own machinery, you know, because I guess it's so weather dependent that everybody likes to be That's independent, right. and have their own machines. So, like, there's old machinery, but like serviceable, and then there's actually like some quite modern stuff as well. And then there's a couple of contractors on the island. And there's contractors not far off the island mm. that'll come over. Mm. So really, I think um, if you look at like the investment and money and capital that would be tied up in machinery and how useless we are at operating it, it absolutely <laughs> makes sense to pay someone else um, to do it. You know, yeah. I think that's the most cost-effective way for 90 acres of arable is always going to be to pay someone else. Um, yeah, well, so we do pay help. You know, we're going to sit in bills and uh like harrow and roll like the really unskilled basic stuff <laughs> um we do have a tractor um but yeah like we use contractors and yeah we hired a telehandler and that was amazing over the winter because i had yeah. such a lot of silage to go out every day so that was that was perfect but other than that i like we're dog and stick people fundamentally so <laughs> Do you think the the sort of the shearing the why are you saying shearing sheep sheep dog? Uh, I've had so many shearers on here, and I say it all the time. And uh, you, you hear Cammy talking about shearing all the time. So every time I say shit, shearing apparently comes out. Um, do you think the sheep dog school has helped make sort of like hiding a telehandler and that sort of thing possible? Is that would that have been stuff that would have been struggling without that? side hustle shall we say i think it's kind of the cattle paid for themselves like that was a comfortable income throughout the winter because the guy paid us monthly and everything it was fine and ticking along in fact they're still here in fairness like they're still, <laughs> still, they're still the winterers have turned into summerers um <laughs> i think sheepdog schools helped us to feel that you know there's always this kind of bubbling anxiety that it, it we're doing okay, but we could just fall off a cliff because there's always just things that spring up. And I think Sheepdog Schools kind of alleviated that. So like, look, that looks like it will keep ticking along with a regular income. So we can kind of rely on it a bit more than say, like lambs could be a hundred quid ahead or there could be 35 quid ahead. You know, you just, you, you don't know. You'd like to think it, there wouldn't be 35, but 
I've been there before with a half. And you just, th those kind of elements are out with our control. It depends on like a worldwide market in China and droughts and weather and all sorts. So at least this is, would like to think it's pretty constant because it's only a little bit of money from people. So it's not going to break the bank. I think it has fed into farming decisions though. Like it gives you the comfort to try, like we are going organic. So we're looking at going from, uh, you know, having 200 cows here over the winter plus 600 ewes, et cetera, to just dropping our numbers right back and going more extensive. And I think, like, it's a system I believe in, but like I believe in the environmental practice. And mm -hmm. um, and also, it's just like a workload thing. There's only two of us here. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of, sometimes you feel like you're up against it, especially if the other person's away, you're treading water, really. You're never really pulling ahead so um it gives us a comfort i guess to think well there's that income like we can make these decisions even the investments like we we've had so much stuff to buy but mm -hmm. i think a lot of it we're here for 20 years if we have it now mm -hmm. we'll get 20 years out of it whereas if uh sorry i think it's i just checked sorry i think it's nice that we're not having to force loads of production out the farm straight away we can kind of build up to where we need to be and get everything else right so it just given us a wee cushion so we're not like right we need to stock this farm at a thousand ewes and have a hundred head of sucklers did you did you tell listeners guys about organicity what's involved in being organic and and also the process is not a i want to be organic tomorrow. yeah hey. So, uh, actually, we are going organic. We start converting tomorrow. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, but organic okay, right there. That's weird. It's one of those things that you have to apply for. So there's a pot of money that sits uh, within the, I suppose, devolved government has a pot of money for agriculture. And um, they are actually looking to double the amount of organic farms at the moment. Mm -hmm. But as part of your IACS application, if you want to go into it, you know, it's like a scheme, like um, a stewardship scheme or like any of these mm -hmm. other options. Mm -hmm. So if you decide to apply, you have to put together um, like a plan, if you like, like a, a bid, if you like, that gets looked at because there could be, if everybody wanted to go organic tomorrow, there's still just the one pot of money. So they don't mm -hmm. accept everybody, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so you do the application and then if you get in, you have other things to submit, like... Um, more inspections. Conversion plans, yes. more inspections, etc. Um, but basically, it takes two years of converting. So we have to farm from tomorrow organically for two years before we'd ever be able to sell anything as organic. But there is a level of subsidy to support you making that change because as of tomorrow... You know, we can't use fertilizer, uh, nitrogen, sprays. Um, Double withdrawal periods on all your drugs and medicines. And it's you have to like prove uh, like a need, you know, so it's not, you're no longer blanket treating things. <laughs> things. It's quite like targeted. You need, to, the, the vet's involved a lot more. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's like, there's a lot of paperwork, I suppose, involved in other extra standards, if you like. Um, we just felt it was better for us to be extensive. And I think well, the, the input prices, the way they've gone, you know, like fertilizers tripled. Um, so it's it's one of those things that you're looking to kind of reduce your input costs, aren't you? Um, yeah. You know, when everybody's tightening 
and budgets are tightening. That's the one thing that we can control. We don't know how much we're going to get for our stock, but we know that we can try and get away from buying in lots of feed or fertilizer or yeah, all the inputs and going organic. Um, it just kind of means that really. Like, yeah, and, and I think I've always sort of looked at listed. sorry, always sort of looked at organics as you know, like you're saying, things are not cheap <laughs> at all at the minute. Now I know for the most part agricultural commodities are, are high as well, but they're not they're not as inflated as as your diesel, as your fertilizer, as your whatever. And you know, you'll be you know, uh, fecal egg counting to make sure you're not just launching anthelmintics in for the crack, you know, and all that sort of thing. So, so yes, there's there's assistance for doing it. But I also think there's a lot of cost cutting if you can do it correctly. Um, so yeah, it's 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 the way to go if you're able to sort of look at those figures and whatnot. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier it's just the two of you. There is one other, um, maybe not quite fully employed <laughs> yeah. yet, but uh, does does the wee man sort of like the farm? Uh, like he's all right. He's not. I don't know. He, he he's mixed, isn't he? Emma thinks that he'll just not. I just be think that he's going to be like I a computer gamer, and you can't push things on people. No. So like, I think he's really sweet. I think he is like into the animals. And I assume does. you do too, Emma. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I think he's really sweet, but I just kind of I feel that maybe he won't be a farmer. I don't know. It's just a gut feeling I have. I'm like, like he loves being outside and playing and and stuff, but I just yeah. But then that doesn't, it doesn't matter either way what he decides to be or do. I think he is enjoying, you know, he's enjoying being here. He's a lockdown baby. So for most of his life, people wore masks and yeah. he didn't get to see anyone. So there is that. But since we've come here, obviously restrictions are, you know, eased in the, the last few while. So we're starting to meet people. But where we lived before, there weren't other children. Like it would have been a feral trek to get to school. Mm-hmm. High school would have been, you know, an hour away. Like it was. Childcare has been a bit tricky on the island to find because there's like one childminder for the whole island. There's a population of, <laughs> like, I want to say, six or seven yeah! thousand people. In like, where'd all the children go? It's it's very, it's quite comparable to our population. Yeah. Or what people do. Yeah. I think the ground's better on you. Well, it's better on you. But uh, yeah. We're about six thousand. Um, I think we have three childminders. <laughs> We're spoiled, uh, but I, oh, you guys don't need a childminder. Just chuck, chuck them on your back. You'll be fine. Um, oh, and then the police come and call. And I was just, I was just about to say this. I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's, it's my circle thing. Would you stop stealing? Oh, all of <laughs> I look like a bad interview now. I look like an idiot. Fifty points <laughs> in interview. Um, That's a good leader, uh, though. It is, it is. But I think just before we jump into that, we, we've touched upon this farming life. Everyone that's listening is listening because you're on this farming life. Now, I do a wee bit of research. Uh, I, I have seen um, you've been on a few things aside this farming life. You've been on Flock Stars, I think, something to do with Alan Titchmarsh. You've got two books. So there's quite a lot of media. Um, uh, you and you managed to hide away from some of that. Is that by design? <laughs> um, I am just, uh, yeah, Emma's the, the star. I'm the just, star. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the entourage. Entourage, yeah. <laughs> no, he's the star and he's like, right now. I always joke about, like, um, there's this horrible word that they say for um, girls that go chasing after farmers. I'm not even going to say it, but, like, 
ah, I'm not. I'm just like, oh, yeah. gorgeous pharma. I want to be with you. That's, that's my route in. So I am basically like, yeah, a no. fan. A lot of the stuff I did before I've even met you and like flocks. Oh, flocks stars were just started going out, hadn't we? And you and I actually looked after the farm while I was away on Flock Stars. That was the start of our date. And the very first date was putting the tops out. Yeah. Like it was definitely, it's been farming. And then you had to land them, didn't you? And then, yeah. Adorable. Um, yeah. Went to London for six weeks and you had to land. Well, no, it was the end of London, nah, wasn't it? It wasn't so bad. <laughs> it's yeah, funny yeah it's definitely. Baptism of fire. Yeah, exactly. That's it. I always, I always quite enjoyed Mel and Martin's. Um, if if you're listening, guys, and you want to hear Mel and Martin's story, they were also in this farming life. Uh, number thirty-five, I think their podcast was. Um, basically, one of them likes Angus's and one of them likes limousines, and I can't remember which one came up and said to the other, uh, "The one you like is shite." <laughs> was basically how it went, <laughs> and uh, it was a year or two after that they just started decided to start talking again. <laughs> <laughs> Quite funny the different stories are there but yeah this farming life um how does that come about a few different ways really i think that just a few different things pointed the tv to us so that i'd done a program called the antiques road hunt and one of the guys on that was a cameraman or a director on that who then went to work for this farm and life team so when they started canvassing people they were like he was like oh there was this girl that lived by herself in northumberland on a sheep farm she would be quite cool so that was cool and then they actually contacted because that was the year they decided to go into england but they didn't want to go very far into england so they stopped in northumberland did you do something with alba before yeah. Alba was out as well. Oh, that wasn't. Right, no, okay. no, no. Um, so then <laughs> they um they contacted the young farmers in Northumberland and asked the chairman if there was anyone. So he said he said us, but it did help that the chairman was my cousin. Helps, helps. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So um, and then they came and it's not as simple as just getting, you know, them suggesting people. They have to come out and they do a recce and they do a casting tape and then they take that casting tape back to the guys at the shop floor. And then they take they take their shortlist through to the commissioning guy or woman and then they decide. So it took a wee it while. And as well, who else they've got? Yeah, because they don't want they want to try and balance it all up yeah sure like different big farm little farm crofter you know mix it all up but we were just lucky to get on and then after the first series we were obviously really wanted to go on a second series and so they did they were like okay we'll take us to the commissioner and see and they were like yeah that's uh, good to go so but they'll only let you do two series which is a shame because we enjoyed having them oh i know it's been smashing and i guess like uh you know maybe we'll come on to it but there's like upsides you know, positives and negatives, but for us, like largely, it's been mm-hmm. like an amazing experience. The camera crew um, that we had in the first series was uh, like, you know, they were partners mm-hmm. and they were just brilliant crack. They were so good and so funny. Like we count them as friends, you mm-hmm. know. And yeah. I think the various families that have ever done that show have always kind of pointed like, actually, the film crew are like brilliant. They're really like, of course. <laughs> 
of course, things take longer when there's a you know people filming you, and you do feel a bit silly when one, somebody's like pointing the camera at you. One year, we were re- I was really late sorting the culls out, and like for the wagon, and I was like flying around trying to shed off all these cull use, and and the camera crew were there filming it all, and this and Kate had this big long boom with the microphone on the end. I was like, guys, you're gonna have to help me push these up. Like you're gonna have to give me a hand. And then like this, you came running towards Kate, and I'm not even sure what happened, but just ran in the boom and just bent it completely around. Oh. And, I was like, <laughs> and then various cameras got broken. Like one guy thought it would be really good to film a, a like a slow-mo of the lambs jumping out of the Formula One foot bath over the top of his camera. Thought that would be great. And I was just like, oh no. But they were oh no, they were fun to have around. It's oh, funny what you say about things that is slower when they're filming. I've said a couple of times, by the way, not talking about on the telly filming here, when COVID happened, I'm a lecturer, obviously, and students couldn't get on the farm to learn practical stuff. So I was like, right, I'll go home to farm and I'll film everything I possibly can. I think it's 37 videos in three months about farming so students could see something. And uh, I said to my dad, I was like, look, I am working for SRUC. I am not just your sort of dog's body around the farm. I'll help you as much as I can, but I have to film it. He did not get that for some time. <laughs> well, it's just like 10 times how much it should, you know? Um, and, and obviously they'd be big booms, big cameras, everything. Uh, how long did they film for? Uh, it'd be like, I think we're at Fally's, they'd be there sort of one or two days around. a week a fortnight, wouldn't it? it? Like the filming was like 10 or 11 months long of a period that they yeah. filmed for. But they would come out, they were obviously, there was two crews covering six farms and they were right up, like, you know, up to Joyce Campbell, right up in the north, down to, uh, like, Matt and Danny mm-hmm. Blair were uh, through. That's because they kind of, our crew got three farms, didn't they? And they were there full time, pretty much. And, yeah. So they would do, you know, they would do two days at a time kind of thing, like come and stay a couple of nights and film. And they were quite, you know, they did ask, uh What's, what's happening you know so they, yes. they try and capture the key moments you know if you're going to sell or buy or you know something was happening they would try and be there to capture it I so it wasn't just you know turn up and like okay you guys we just have a quiet day today. <laughs> uh, sometimes sometimes yeah, it did happen there was yeah. always a pressure of like look we are coming on these two days and you're like, oh, right, okay. Often, you know what farming's like? Sometimes shit hits the fan randomly as well. So they'd be there sometimes and you'd be like thinking you're having a quiet day and then something would have gone wrong and they'd be right into it. <laughs> exactly. That's that the thing. Drama sales. Yeah. You can't be too, uh, like you kind of got to like leave your ego yeah. aside we- and like not take yourself too seriously to enjoy it because you don't have any control. You know, like they will show what they show. We are we watch it the same as anybody in the house. We have no yeah. idea what they're going to show. Now, obviously, we know what they Filmed. were there filming. So sometimes you're like, oh, please. we've never censored anything either. Like we just like they're there, and we've never gone like, oh, don't show that, don't show that, don't show that. I just think if you're going on a show like that, you have to just be uncensored and just go with it. And but they've a, shown us, they've shown us having fallouts aye. and all sorts. Like we've yeah. we've had fallouts in the pens and stuff because they do. It's just normal. And that's what people look for. faith in that show though that it's like they're not actively they're not trying to show farming a bad light. They're trying to show farming as it is, and it's not all like uh, milk. You know, it's not 
necessarily big farmers it's like farming families like it's so often family Mm -hmm. kind of run business or industry and i think they capture that and they portray there's not that many shows really i think that are like positive for farming so it was really nice to be part of a show that like i think on balance this farming life's brilliant it really shows normal people and Mm -hmm. uh, normal struggles and normal Mm-hmm. like kind of farming thing it's not it's not tweezer it's not it's not, not like though. a magazine um and it's not romanticized it's real life but i think it's positive it's yeah mm-hmm. i think i think that's that's the case though because real farming is positive yes there's issues yes there's bad eggs as we see in panorama and cowspiracy and but which sells much better in this farming life because it's dramatised, it's whatever. But that, that's why he says, having never watched it, but honestly, don't take offence, I've barely watched TV since Spongebob. <laughs> um, you know, like, uh, everyone that talks about it, it's like, I mean, like, I came in, I came in at half seven, I had my dinner, I turned it on, and it was just like I was watching what was happening out there because it's real, it's not hidden, it's not falsified, which I think is really important to show, again, having said not written, watched it. but um, And I think the more people I have on, <laughs> Stephen Mitchell, Mel and Martin, Lynn, yourselves, I should really actually watch this because it sounds good. Um, when you were yeah, laid up with COVID, you should have had it on repeat. <laughs> well, I know that, honestly, I was I could barely watch anything. I was that bad laid up with COVID. It wasn't oh. just a... A wee cold last week, that's for sure. Um, yeah, for, for those of you listening, I've followed me for a while. I had COVID at Christmas and uh, genuinely, like, I had a headache for about three and a half minutes. And then uh, <laughs> last week I was uh, fairly knocked out. You probably noticed my voice is slightly different. That's because I've got a wee cut in my throat, which I didn't know was possible. Um, so, yeah, COVID, COVID fairly hit me last week. Uh, uh, but, yeah, no, I, I couldn't have watched it because I was just sat... <laughs> <laughs> to get through the day. Um, Ooh, you, so you mentioned you <laughs> <laughs> I looked away no I'm just what's annoying for all you uh, viewers um, is uh, I'll have been talking so you don't even know that you just stripped off um, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, the, we mentioned earlier that I said well Link can just be on your back and that's fine. I spent my whole childhood as a kid uh, just strapped to my mum's back, walking about, not, you know, hitting in steeples at the bottom of the fence post and eating ladybirds and whatever. Um, and <laughs> you said, well, that wasn't an option. Tell us why. Oh, what, the bike? The bike. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. So, like, obviously... Um, farming yeah kids you know they're part of it and when we moved here we didn't have any childcare, and it was during lockdown so there was no family uh you know we've moved away from both our families and uh i didn't have anyone so len you know it was he was still that size you could strap him to papoose and you know take him places uh, and so part of the show Emma, I can't mind, you had something on in the morning. It was at lambing time, so I needed to go around uh, the use with Len. You know, I couldn't leave him in the house. Um, so the camera crew was here, and I did say to them, I was like, oh, probably don't film this, because I've seen on different shows Yorkshire Shepherdess, Yorkshire Shepherdess or things like that, you know, rakes the kids on the quad bike, and you're always like, 
there's always going to be uh, you know a group of people that don't think you should do that and they're probably you know right but anyway I was on my own I had Len so we both put on our helmets we're on the quad bike we're going to walk and pace in a flat field like it's not a hill farm this it's quite uh, like a lowland farm if you yeah. like so totally flat field at walking pace and I took them around the stock and the cameras captured that and then they obviously run it past their lawyers and all this kind of thing because that's part of the post-production yeah. and I was like no it's hunky-dory because again I'd said oh probably like don't show it but anyway they did show it and we don't know what they're going to show until it comes out and then what a nice police visit aye the police came up to visit so someone had phoned uh, or written to the police here on the island and reported us for child endangerment that, for doing that so the police came out to give us a visit and it was one of those things where um yeah i don't know you just have to from being in the fire service say yes or no sir and be really polite but i tell you what the police had a really bad opinion of farmers here on the island really like, they were like you guys are a law unto yourself what? <laughs> nah, no, but it's what they said. Anyway. You're, you're alone to yourself. No, but we're not warming. It's not going to warm them to us, is it? <laughs> All right, Emma's Emma's cautioning me, saying anything bad about police. But I was uh, very polite and said, "Right, we'll not do that again." But and then the next episode, he was on the bike again. <laughs> we're like, it's filmed. There's nothing we can do about it. So, All right. so since then, you know, you saying strap them on your back and take them on the quad bike, like. So we said it'd be joke because we we're at air show the other day and they had a police bike, a police quad bike all marked up with all the fluorescents and stuff. And I said to the policeman, there was three policemen stood there. I said, can um, he have a shot? I'm like, yeah, of course he can. So I dropped Len on with no helmet on or anything, sitting, pressing the buttons and took a picture of it and put it on my Instagram just for like a, you know, a finger up at them. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things though that, um, you know, folks say about it, like, oh, you put yourself out and... Um, People share, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like we have become like public figures or whatever that people can feel free to comment upon. But that's part and parcel of it. I mean, yeah, we get on some, a very small scale. We get some abuse, like my Instagram sometimes, sometimes on Facebook, I'll get like quite brutal remarks, but I just delete them. <laughs> there was there was various, like, it's like any TV show, loads of folk write in and complain about loads of different things. But obviously it feeds back to us, you know, the, so it's like, that's one of the things that you obviously have to forums forums on facebook aren't very nice to deal with facebook is a horrendous place now i said earlier when we were talking about your your sheepdog not shearing school uh <laughs> that, that absolutely flew and and that was the case facebook since new year has flown down from a reach perspective like i mean i was consistently seeing 100,000 roughly reach every every month and now if i hit 30 i'm surprised um mm -hmm. so it's went down that way but the people on it are horrible i mean yeah. like you said there i i don't have a big following i think my total following across everything is something like 7,000 and the i do some videos with the bbc and um the BBC video that I put out at Lamb Time was this really nice sort of natural progression of here's a yow that's had two lambs. I've helped lamb one, the other one's lamb naturally. Let's follow it till it's out of the field. Three minutes, positive. This is what happens on a farm. And I mean, I got lots of negative comments, but two that really stick out to me and I talk about quite often, and I will um, 
only use the first letters of some of the parts of it is you scum of the earth effing C, you're the one that should be slaughtered. I was like, good God, okay, thank you, nice to meet you, Eleanor. <laughs> and uh, then the second one, and this is honestly like like horror movie level psychotic when you actually look at it. How would you feel if I came to the birth of your child and cut its head off? Now, that's it's- quite the statement to make. Like that's 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 not even just trolling at that stage that's you know that's becoming probably borderline illegal well hopefully <laughs> illegal uh, and it's such a weird place you guys have got a big following with that it just comes but there's no point in stressing about those folk like they they mean so little um uh, but it's but yeah. hard because you dwell on it even if you delete it you still you still dwell on it because you're like what what an earth you know possesses someone to make such a brutal comment but i just think because it's just a platform where people can be invisible they can say what they want yeah. and just like run away and they get a kick out of it and like i've had yeah quite a bit of abuse and ugh, it doesn't it doesn't get any easier but you get better at dealing with it i think that's the thing it's like at lamentine you can have like 20 success stories and one that didn't work yeah. out and that's the one you remember and obviously like lamentine ends up being like that because you're just dealing with problems aren't you like the, the yeah. ones that are laughing away themselves no bother mm. you don't think about it. and it's the same with comments you know so you get you do get those you know one comment in 20 or 10 or five or however it ends mm. up being but that those are the ones that you kind of pick out and you're like oh but Aye, it's not that they're not important and you don't care about them, but like it just, vegan. it's just <gasps> people, isn't it? I've that stuff in the oven. Oh, oh shit. Emma's um, fire to the house. <laughs> What's Why? been left in the that oven? That smells quite friendly in here. That was dinner, <laughs> I think. Brilliant. Um, no, it's. I, I think, do you know what? It's like we're way more forward and talking about like mental health and uh, like farming. I don't know. There's definitely a conversation to be had, but I think, like particularly, like Emma as a woman gets like an extra level of abuse. She's bringing through a burnt dinner. Is it looking tasty? Oh, look at that! Is that black pudding? (laughs) Oh my! I feel so bad. I feel so bad. (laughs) No, I don't worry. Um. Yes. Sorry, Emma. As as a woman. You were saying yeah. Yeah, I think I think like uh, I've said this to you before. So Emma sold the dog at auction. Oh yeah. And a lot of people can't get their heads around that, you know. So like for us, it's a success story. It's like if you went out and sold your prize bull and made like top price at the mark, yep. or like uh, your tough or whatever, you'd be proud of it. You know, it's like it's your stock, it's your name. It's like what you've worked to achieve. Um, but. The amount of abuse you got. Oh, the like forums. There was like the there was forums of people like all just like with headlines of what a bitch and what a cow and the heartless and and people started sending me actual written like handwritten yeah, letters. Yeah, handwritten letters. No name or that. Just yeah, like, it was horrible. Good God. But what was like one of my proudest moments? I ended up being kind of like, uh, like overtaken by all these negative comments. Like, I mean, I would guess when they said, what a bitch, you could take that as a, a compliment. Because <laughs> yeah. <it was> a <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that, yeah, I, I don't know if people just don't like other folk to have success or if they have a problem with that success, you know, like with, with selling sheepdogs, there's probably that sort of back connotations to puppy farming and whatnot. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, 
all these sort of things. And there's always going to be people that, that hate what you're doing. And especially when we're in this world yeah. that exploits animals, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's just, it's just one of the things that's there. And, and it, it's, it's one of the things that we unfortunately have to deal with. And the way I've found to deal with it is, <coughs> sorry, I don't know if it's the smoke from your oven. I know, how can you smell it? It is, it's quite choking. <laughs> yeah, no, really bad stuff on the R2 cast from the smell of it. And, um, sorry, um, you know, whether yeah, thank you. A glass of water because I know you can know why. Yeah, no, <laughs> thank you very much, appreciate that. Cool <laughs> <laughs> transition that was. That was <laughs> um, although I was, however, drinking a uh, elderflower and crab apple hot jelly, so it was slightly different. Right. I don't know why I've had the best. like a Highland show by that one. <laughs> it wasn't, it was It was on my Northern Irish tour, and even more importantly, um, this, which I'm sure you guys have a lot of. Aye. Whin jelly. Aye, oh, wait, you might be known as gorse. You might be known as gorse. Gorse, gorse. Yeah, yeah. I, know. <clears throat> um, I was uh, very excited to see that, and I haven't opened it because my parents were coming at the weekend. We get to try it. But very farmery excitement. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the way I found to deal with it the best is, you know, just leave it, and the the, the farming community help you. <laughs> they jump on for you. They just do it. Do all the business. It's great. Um, just hashtag Garthwin Jones, and then away he goes. <laughs> away he will go. And as we spoke on on the podcast I had him with R two Cast Forty, if you want to check it out, he is not scared to say what he thinks. <laughs> There's the main man. <laughs> How are you, Len? How are you? Is that? Don't know. That's Hello. Close. Hello. No. No, it's Too a shy. pretty horrible face. He's got a, a beard. Do you not know, get that? <laughs> Most of them look away. I'm so hungry. Okay. I'm so hungry. That's a goose sun. Sorry for that. Well, I tell you what. We'll wrap it up. We've, I've only got. It's here. It's been great to talk. Uh, Lane. Lane is hungry, and the looks of dinner. He might be hungry for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's it's been a, a while in the making. I actually spoke to you uh, a while ago, Emma, but doing this completely forgot to actually organise it and uh, to bump into the island show yeah. and sort of get to have a chat in real life is always good. But I finish every episode with two questions. <clears throat> First off, um, if you had any tips for folk coming into industry, which for both of you guys is a really good one to ask, uh, sort of what would they be? And uh, also, where do you see yourself in five years? Which obviously, you know, what are you doing when you're 27? Uh, is basically yeah. <laughs> that question Absolutely. goes. <laughs> so old then. John. John, my pension. <laughs> ah, <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tips, tips for getting in. Um, just put in the graft, I guess. Um, put in the graft so that people can see you're good. Because... Uh, People in agriculture reward hard work so well. And I think if you're prepared to put in the hours, you will get rewarded, even if you need to do something for free or it doesn't feel like you're getting there. Um, but also always strive for a bit more, you know, like I think at any stage, I suppose we could have sat back and gone, this is this is good, you know, we could just, just stay here. But I think if you just keep going and keep going and keep going. But that was what I would say. Do you have any? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Marry one. Yeah, marry you in, yeah. Um, I think it's a really good point because that hard work, like opportunities, it's like um, those that work hard get luckier or whatever. I don't know quite the expression, but there's a lot of people, and you know, you'll come across them yourselves that you work with that 
almost begrudge having to do anything mm. and like they have that sort of sense that they should get given whatever it is that they want but they're not willing to put the graft in and as Emma says quite often when you're grafting away thinking you're not being recognized for it it leads to other things like mm. and it, it's like there's a tipping point isn't there like in life you know struggle 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 and when you get over that tipping point it's like oh right you know it's not it's not so difficult now but like the majority of us are under that line and you've just got to work haven't you yeah and there's other opportunities there's like you know we talked about the share agreement you know it's something we want to do in the future like we really want to do what you know someone has given us the opportunity so it's something that we would like to do in the future so we're talking seriously about it and like we're quite passionate about uh, people being able to get into this industry like I come from out with and you've had to work for it yourself mm -hmm. you know it's um it's a shame there's not easier routes or more opportunities but we would like you know ourselves to put our money where our mouth is if you like and create opportunity so that kind of leads on to the five-year plan I guess yeah. it's like in five years time we'd like to try and find someone who could you know have a piece like the farm's a big farm and you know have a piece of the farm in return for some labor and I think we're just going to hopefully build Sheepdog School to a thousand subscribers and there's like win a, the international Sheepdog Trials. And then if we do all that, then that'll be fine. There's like a goal, I guess, like the previous tenants here run, uh, you know, a circular unit and there was the two of them. And I think, you know, there's two of us here, but I think this is such an amazing farm, an amazing resource. It could actually support like more people. Right. So I guess it's like trying to grow it to the level where actually there could be four or five of us working here you know it's like mm. it's it's exciting times um and there is i don't know like speaking to some people they're all doom and gloom but i'm like massively excited for the future and mm -hmm. uh like obviously we've been massively lucky but i'm yeah, yeah i'm psyched so i guess it's like uh in five years time you know some of these things will hopefully come to fruition because we're like minded to work towards them i think that's a really powerful thing is if there's you and you've got a goal and a focus and drive towards it that's that's one thing but see if there's two of you pulling for that mm -hmm. like like it just seems it seems to come quicker or be more achievable but can you imagine if there was three of you or four of you do you know what i mean it's, it's a powerful thing like that mm -hmm. um yeah. That positivity is really refreshing, though, because, like you say, there is some doom and gloom, and it's it's nice to see someone that's in a position that they're really happy with, and can see a, a future with that. Is it now? It's it's such a, a a big thing and almost un unattainable in some ways. But is owning a farm part of a, a long term plan, or is that not something that really bothers you? I mean, yeah, like I've always <laughs> said that. I'm like I want a piece of land that no one can take away because mom and dad run a clue farm and they just literally they had like a month's notice and they're like oh we're going to take the farm back off you and we're going to plant the whole thing with trees and that's a really uncomfortable position to be in like I don't really think this estate is like that but you just you never know who what factor is going to be next and whatnot so eventually but we'd need our We'd need quite a lot of subscribers on Cheap Dog School, I think. <laughs> I think that's it. Like the, the goal of, you know, a farm, like if you look at farms, you know, they're a million pound plus. And if you look at what we could potentially borrow, if anybody would even give us any money, it's, you know, it's half of that, say. So 
it would be land, wouldn't it? And it's like probably going to be. It's hard even because what you think, like you could be able to buy some hill ground or more marginal land, but the trees have put such a base if, on that. Maybe the, is, is there any nice farms on Aaron coming up for sale? <laughs> it, do you know the answer is I don't know, and and the reason for that is if they do, much like everywhere, they're almost sold before they're for sale. Yeah. Do you know like yeah. it, that's it's what just, we're thinking. It, um, Feel free to come to... over to Aaron, uh, or as you are going over it. But uh, yeah, no, I think the answer is probably not. And yeah, I... <laughs> it's hard nothing to... on view ever comes up no. for sale. Like there's nothing, like not even houses, not even family homes hardly ever come up for sale. Flats occasionally, but other than that, nothing. Which is, you know, it's yeah. It's hard to compete. Like you'll know from like Aaron and uh, like I used to live in Mull. They are like destinations where people like to retire or run yeah. uh, or run like you said guest houses etc so like of the housing stock you've maybe got a third or islanders or locals mm. a third are holiday homes uh or like you know businesses and a third is like people retiring it pushes up the price that you can't afford to compete so i guess we always think like where could we buy it be somewhere like not attractive to the majority of people and mm -hmm. it probably won't have any accommodation so it'll just be land but then that's a yeah. factor as well because you can't borrow you know you're not getting 90% mortgage on on land you know I think you can get that's it. Yeah. anyway so this is all boring <laughs> yeah. rubbish stuff. No, it's, yes the short it's answer cool. is like yes we would love to own something because we don't have anything no. um how achievable it is it's probably not five years but no, 100% for sure. Um, it's something that we are working towards. Yeah. No, good, good to hear. And it, yeah, for, for, for reference, yes, Aaron Summer. Um, my ex and I bought a house, as I told you earlier, a uh, <laughs> very short lived house, um, the exact same day as someone that I know very well bought one on Aaron. And our house was 120 square meters with the best part of probably a tenth or ninth of an acre, like quite a large garden. Um, three bedroom, uh, two bedrooms, sorry, three bedrooms, two shower rooms, one was an ensuite bathroom, all this sort of thing. And it was the exact same price as a, a, a one bed small garden place on iron. And it, it's just, it's, it's just hard, it's impossible to buy because these second homes yeah. all sort of jazz. But here, it's the way it is. <clears throat> it's been great to chat. Um, I think we're currently sitting at the longest R2 cast yet, which is very fitting given it's the 50th. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it has been a whirlwind. Uh, we have passed the water across a Zoom call. We I, I think we've got the same pen as well. I can pass you that across. <laughs> <laughs> that would be bloody skillful. Uh, we've had um, the oven on fire. We've had a lot of things going on. So it's, it's been a been an interesting talk, and it's been good to good to have you on. Um, so I hope you guys have enjoyed yourselves as well. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Uh, no, it's really good. Like, uh, it's a fair buzz and that positivity, like, breeds positivity, doesn't it? So it's great to meet other people that are, you know, psyched. And, uh, Absolutely. Uh, it's been, yeah. been great. Thank you so much. No, not at all. And uh, this will be coming out the 15th of July. So if you guys are wondering when it's coming out for you, uh, it'll be the 15th of July. If you're listening, it'll be the 15th of July anyway. So that's pointless me saying that. Um for next week, you know, it's really cool. <clears throat> done. This is 50. I have not done in the first 49 one person from an island. Today, we have number 50, Emma and you and on view. And next week, number 51, we have 
who I'm sure you guys might follow, um, Cool Farm Ailey. Uh, Sophie and Andrew. Sophie didn't want to come on camera, but they are the main main um, malting barley producers for Brewclad Whiskey. So that's next week. Uh, thank you all for coming along and listening. Thank you guys for coming on. There's Len to say goodbye. Uh, see you for our two cats number 51. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it. Another R2 cast finished. Another agricultural mind opened up. And I would just like to say that getting these guests on board uh, does take time uh, and it always has done. But I've now went weekly and with that comes even more time required. And I would just like to finally thank once more the Scottish Farmer for sponsoring the show and making that much more possible. Please be sure to get in touch if you've any ideas of people you'd like to see on the podcast or maybe ideas you have for me presenting better, because I definitely do require that. See you in the next one.